1: Of course, while the roof is leaking, you're going to put a bucket under the drops. But if all you do is put a bucket under the leak and you don't go up and fix the roof, you're not going to solve the problem and it's not going to make anything better. So oftentimes when people learn breathing and it's all that they learn, that's akin to just putting the bucket under the leak without really doing the other work that you need to do.
2: Welcome to Flusterclucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about how to manage those tricky emotions that show up in all families. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your
1: questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. And I'll even tell you what to do and what to say. So, hey, Robin, I know that you are so busy getting ready for the retreat tell me what you did on it this week. This week was really fun, actually.
2: I feel like I'm throwing this big wedding or something, but it's not a wedding. <laughs> it's, it's, just the, <laughs> it's just that level of detail. Yeah. This was the week of starting to choose swag, which oh. is really fun. There's a lot yeah. of welcome gifts for the family for yeah. our retreat at the end of September in Orlando. So Lynn, why don't you also talk a little bit about
1: what the workshops will discuss? There'll be two workshops with me for the parents. The first one is really going to focus on our adult patterns of anxiety because a lot of times when families come to see me, they say, You got to fix my kid, which I'm down with that plan. However, it is so, so important, as you've heard me say a gazillion times, for parents to look at how they are trapped or absorbed or even unknowingly conveying anxiety and stress in their own lives and how our kids pick up on that. So that's going to be the first workshop. Going to take a look at family patterns do what I call an anxiety genogram, which is kind of fun. Great stuff.
2: Well, the retreat is really relevant for every family because it doesn't matter if you are using your work to prevent anxiety or you're trying to treat a more serious case of anxiety. So I love that. And I love that people always walk away from our retreats just blown away how relevant and how much bigger of a role anxiety actually Mm -hmm. is with everyone. Registration is closing in August. There are three spots left for people who want to attend the workshops and want to work with you privately because Mm -hmm. we cap that at a certain number and we hope people join.
1: Yeah, come and have fun with us in Orlando and learn a ton. September
2: 30th. And the registration is on our website and in the show notes. And as we go into puzzle piece number four today, this is the summer series, uh, really talking about all of these anxiety disruptor tips. I was talking to a friend of mine who is a a lovely friend, an avid listener of the podcast, and she gave me some really great feedback. Mm -hmm. She has been listening for a long time, She has been listening to these individual puzzle pieces, as you call them. Mm -hmm. And she said, I got through number three, and then it just sort of hit me. And you and I, Lynn, we talk about the fact that you don't just hear this stuff once. Mm -hmm. You kind of have to hear this stuff a lot. And then Mm it's sort of you have this aha moment. So she had an aha moment where she said, like, she really got it on a deeper level. And then she says she felt like she was just like, oh, I have two paths in front of me now. Mm. I can admit that I have wasted a lot of time and energy (laughs) making this worse or making this deeper or making this more entrenched, or I can brush myself off and admit that I have to shift. Yeah. And she said, in that moment when I was having that, I just wanted Lynn to give me that little cheer, that mantra to take that risk. Mm -hmm. She's not the only one, I bet, who has had that exact moment and feeling and needs to hear from you.
1: Quite coincidentally, I was listening to a little chunk of a program that I was involved in, but Tara Brock, many of our listeners may be familiar with her name. There was a little video that somebody sent me where she was talking about self-criticism and self-judgment. She was saying in this video that, many people who realize they've been highly self-critical or highly self-judgmental then beat themselves up for all the time that they've spent in the past being self-critical and self-judgmental. And she said, what we need to do now is you need to give yourself a little grace, give yourself a little forgiveness that you were doing this. And then you need to pull yourself right back into the present and say, now is the time when I'm going to start making these adjustments. And it was such an affirming thing because she said, if you're being self-critical, then you start being self-critical about the fact that you were self-critical for all those years. I see it happening with anxiety is that parents will have this aha moment and then they'll say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I was doing this. I've screwed up my kids. How did I not recognize this? And then they really go down into that shame spiral and that's the exact opposite of what I need parents to do when they have the aha moment. Well, the
2: shame spiral is so easy to fall into.
1: And that's what Tara was saying too. And she also normalized it. She said, of course, you're going to feel this way. And being self-critical and being being judgmental of yourself is a normal thing that we all do. So if you're listening to this, like your friend, and you're having an aha moment, of course, you're going to have that thought of like, oh, I can't believe I was doing that. It's okay Because what's the alternative? That you deny all this or you say, oh, I'm not doing it or Lynn is full of crap or maybe other families do this, but it's not me and you continue to do this? That's not a good option either. So option one is you have the aha moment and then you go down the shame spiral and you think, oh, there's nothing I can do. I'm a terrible parent. That's option one. Don't take that option. Option two is that you deny all of this. You minimize it. You say, well, it's not so bad or there's nothing I can do about it. I don't want you to go option two. Option three is you say, isn't this interesting information and how am I going to start to make adjustments? How am I going to talk to my kids about it? How am I going to recognize that it is really easy to fall into these patterns and my job is to help my family move out of them? I'm going to go with option three. My husband and I had a like a like a situation happen this week where we had to have <laughs> a talk. <laughs> we had a we had a marital situation. We had a marital situation. <laughs>
2: well, but, you know, we had like something came up and, and it was like, okay, how are we gonna deal with this? If this were a timeline we're focusing on now in the future, where we can be productive. Mm-hmm. Let's not focus on the why this happened and who did this and who Mm -hmm. like doesn't help when I realize I've really screwed up or I have been doing something wrong and I, Mm -hmm. and I confess I'm, I'm actually very hard on myself. It's a bad pattern. I always say to myself, but I know now Mm -hmm. I know now in this moment, Mm -hmm. but instead I know
1: now. Right. And that just so everybody knows the ability to say, Oh, I know now, or I was doing something that wasn't working and I didn't realize it. And now I've got new information. And so I'm going to adjust. That is one of the hardest things for people to do. And there's a ton of research on cognitive dissonance where you get new information that contradicts your old information. And you would think, right? We like to think like, Oh my gosh, that's new information. That's so helpful. Now I can, now I can take this new information and apply it. Very often, the opposite happens. That when you get the new information that contradicts your old information, you become more committed to the old information. You double down on it. So you really have to resist that because that's a natural process that happens. And we can see it socially. You can see it in all sorts of ways of of how it shows up in the world. So, So that skill of being able to say, I have new information that contradicts what I used to do or what I used to think. You're going to really have to pay attention to how it is you make these adjustments.
2: I just want to share an interesting story or like a different way to say that outside of the mental health world. My husband and I were early parents at the time. Mm -hmm. There was a profile of some hedge fund founder in New York magazine. I don't remember his name. Mm -hmm. but he said something that was really powerful that I don't know even why I was reading this profile, but I read the profile and I was like, Hey, I love what he said right here. He said, the secret of my success is that I don't, he basically said, I don't have egoic attachment over certain investment beliefs. Mm -hmm. I'm really into always looking at where I was wrong and what I can let go of. Mm -hmm. And so I don't hold things because I want them to be true. So my husband and I then talked about that. And we're like, isn't that so great? Because when you realize this isn't working, let's change. We both agreed in that moment that as parents, we would always support that idea. This Mm -hmm. isn't working. Let's Mm -hmm. change. But Mm -hmm. what I think of is instead of being attached to your ideas egoically, instead be attached to your ability to reject bad ideas. Let mm-hmm. your ego be gratified that you can separate <laughs> from those ideas that yeah. you would probably
1: have an emotional skill label for that. Well, it's an emotional skill and it's a cognitive skill. And it's also a very important relational skill. Right. So that's a wonderful sort of, you know, promise to make to each other. And it, you, you have to continue to make that promise again and again and again. Because it is hard to let go of the things that you thought were working. This is why when people come to therapy with me and we're talking about what they learned when they grew up and now how that didn't work and what they're going to do differently, you know, that's rip it off a scab. That's really hard to let go of those things. Totally, It's a process, right? I always say little adjustments, little adjustments, little adjustments. They add up. You pay attention to it. So for your friend who is having this aha moment, you know, we like to think that aha moments are like, ah, right? Like, oh, you hear the the organ chord, ah, right? Lots of times aha moments are like, crap. Aha moments are not always really pleasant because it means that you have to make this really sometimes difficult, painful shift. It'll take you to a better place but you're holding on to that one trapeze, right? I use this metaphor a lot. You're holding on to that trapeze and you're swinging on that trapeze and you're like, okay, this trapeze isn't working. And so somebody throws you the other trapeze like they do at the circus. And in order to get to the other trapeze, you've got to let go of your trapeze. And there is that moment where you are floating through the air and you are attached to nothing. That's a hard thing. And that's oftentimes what I'm asking parents to do. So I'm just smiling
2: because- my treasure chest of Lynn lionisms is, is so yes. vast. Now, on our walk, when we discussed this, I was like, here's what Lynn says about this and talked <laughs> about the <Japanese>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> And it's her birthday.
2: Uh-huh. So happy birthday, friend.
1: Oh, happy birthday, friend. We'll be right back after this short break. SkylightCal.com slash Flusterclux. That's S K Y L I G H T C A L dot com slash Flusterclux. Mother's Day is coming right up, so order today to get 15% off your purchase at SkylightCal.com slash Flusterclux. Okay, so now back to the show. So, this next puzzle piece is not complicated and actually takes solace in the fact that I'm going to talk to you about something that everybody talks about because this is the puzzle piece that is both helpful and is overrated in a lot of therapy for anxiety. It is the puzzle piece, breathe. So I say this all the time. I am totally in favor of breathing. I love breathing. (laughs) I completely support breathing. You're not anti-breath. I am not anti-breath. And breathing serves a really important role as you move your kids into discomfort. So remember, the previous puzzle piece is that we're going to get uncomfortable and unsure on purpose. Now, When you're doing that, the amygdala is still going to be firing off because remember, the amygdala has learned through experience that this thing is dangerous. So we're stepping in, we're trying to rejigger things, we're trying to give the amygdala new information, but when it gets fired off, you still experience physical symptoms. So the physical symptoms of anxiety... They're very real, and that's what people want to go after. That's what people want to get rid of. So we want to have something to address those physical symptoms that show up when the amygdala is fired off, but we don't want to make the elimination of the physical symptoms the way that we treat the anxiety. And the analogy that we use, and this is the analogy that we used in Anxious Kids, Anxious Parents, is that if you have a leaky roof, Of course, while the roof is leaking, you're going to put a bucket under the drops to catch the water. But if all you do is put a bucket under the leak and you don't go up and fix the roof, you're not going to solve the problem and it's not going to make anything better. So oftentimes when people learn breathing and it's all that they learn, that's akin to just putting the bucket under the leak without really doing the other work that you need to do. So Breathing is the temporary bucket that we're going to use to help you and to help your kids manage these powerful physical symptoms that show up as you're learning the other things. Because kids, when they feel these powerful physical symptoms, that often stops them in their tracks. As they step in and as they experience this stuff, we're really helping them reset the alarm system and we're going to take that new attitude of sort of like, I'm stepping in on purpose, why? So that my amygdala can relearn. We're not trying to eliminate the symptoms that show up, but we're really perceiving them through a different lens. So we want kids to know that when their amygdala gets fired up, their adrenals get activated, they get that shot of noradrenaline and adrenaline or norepinephrine and epinephrine and their heart might start to race, their tummy might start to hurt, they might start to feel shaky and we want to give them a skill in the moment to just help reset that powerful nervous system reaction. The physical symptoms are real, right? They're not faking. If they throw up, it's not pretend throw up. If their heart is pounding, their heart is really pounding. But we want to give them a little crutch, a little connector, so that they can have a moment to reboot and reset. So that's how we teach breathing. That's how we talk about breathing. Okay, I have a question.
2: I understand the analogy of breathing the leak Mm -hmm. from your roof. Mm Mm-hmm. So I understand that the physical symptom, and a lot of our listeners do too, we understand that the physical symptom is still caused, you know, from the amygdala, from that, the way your brain is wired to Mm -hmm. respond to worry. Mm -hmm. Your goal that you assign to teaching kids breathing
1: is what? Is to say, when you get anxious about something, when your amygdala gets fired off, because your poor brain and body think that you're in danger, we need a way to just help you get your feet back under you. We need a way for you to take a few moments to be able to give that message to your amygdala that you're not in danger and to let you just take a pause so that you can keep moving forward. So an example might be, say you've got a kid who's nervous about getting on the school bus or going into their camp. You know, they're taking a soccer camp this summer and they have to go and they're nervous about meeting new people. So in the car on the way over up comes the anxiety. Now what happens, and this happens to adults too, is that they react very strongly to the physical symptoms and they don't make the connection that the physical symptoms are based on the fact that I just fired up my amygdala and my poor amygdala is getting me ready to run away from the grizzly bear. So what we want to teach kids is here's a way for you to reset. Here's a way for you to manage these physical symptoms. We're not going to get rid of them because remember, the way that breathing becomes problematic is when we talk about it as an elimination strategy. So what we want to talk about is this isn't going to get rid of your worry, but it's going to help your nervous system just get a little bit of a reboot so you can continue to move forward. And it makes the physical symptoms less scary because most of the time when people are trying to avoid, and lots of times when kids are trying to avoid, they're trying to avoid because the physical symptoms become overwhelming. Okay. So you're driving the kid to soccer
2: camp on the first day. Yep. This child then is starting to be like, mom, my stomach hurts and I think I'm going to throw up. Yes. What do you say?
1: Okay. So first, first is remember, we've got to do some front loading. So if you know that this is a kid who gets worried, we've already expected worry to show up. We've given it a name. We've created this game where they're going to step in and we know that some physical symptoms are likely to show up. So what you say is, okay, we knew this was going to happen. And very briefly, you say, this is what happens. Remember, when your brain and your body get activated or when your brain and body think that you're in danger. So let's just give a message to your brain and a message to your body that you're not in danger. You're going to soccer practice. Your poor brain thinks you're getting chased by a grizzly bear. So what we're going to do, and you want to practice this ahead of time, you don't want to be doing the dance moves on opening night of Broadway, right? The curtain comes up. That's not the time that you first start singing the song. This is what you're going to practice. There's two things you can do. One is that you can just simply do an in and out, right? So, and you just exhale. Now, if you do that a few times, right, we're not going to rush it. I am not a big fan of Breathing to the count of four, holding your breath for seven, dividing it by 12. Just breathe. Just breathe. You take a full breath in, fill up your lungs, and then you exhale. And when you exhale, come up with a little statement, a little mantra as you're exhaling that you say to yourself, like, I can handle this. Sometimes I have kids say things like, "The inhale, look at me right? Look at me like in an encouraging way. I can handle this. I got this. Good for me, right? Or I'm expecting worry. I have
2: my aha understanding moment of this. So, and I think other listeners may have just caught on with this too. Let's take a quick break and we'll talk more about that.
3: Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do?
2: Okay, let's get back to this conversation. You're using breath as a distancing tool to bring realization to the anxiety process, as opposed to other people who talk about breathing as we're going to get rid of this and this is going to make it go away. So talk a little bit about that. How do you use the breath in conjunction with the externalizing?
1: So you say, so the reason we're going to do these breaths and you can do like 10 breaths, you can say, we're going to do 10 breaths. Right. Don't make it complicated. You're going to do four breaths. You're going to do five breaths. You can count with your child. You can do it with your child. You should practice this on your own, parents. You should do this for yourself. It's enormously helpful. What it is, it's a little bridge almost. Because here we have these skills that we're practicing. We're going to have you step into this thing. You're going to walk onto the field at soccer practice. You're going to get onto the school bus. As your physical body gets cranked up, we're going to say, we're just, it's almost like we're saying, we're just going to throw your bone, uh, (laughs) we're just going to throw your brain a little bone here. And we're just going to say to your very primitive nervous system, we got this. So you're really just giving a very primitive signal to your brain that you're not in the middle of an emergency. It actually decreases the very powerful physical symptoms. And it allows you while you're doing your breathing, it allows you to connect again to that mantra, to the skills we've learned. It allows you to get that little bit of a distance. So instead of saying, I'm You say, oh, here comes your worry. We knew this was going to happen. Okay. so And you even want to say to your kids outright, okay, so now we need to give your amygdala a little message, right? Your amygdala needs a little message. So let's do our breaths, right? And you can say to your child, right? Your amygdala is listening. Remember, your amygdala is not so bright. It's just taking messages from you. We're just going to do these breathing exercises. We're going to do this calming breath. So then we can move forward. Maybe the mantra is, it's not a grizzly bear. It's not a grizzly bear. You know, you can take a breath in and you can say, reboot, right? Reboot, right? And we want to keep it simple. And the key to this is we are not eliminating anything. Or trying to. We are giving the brain the message. We are giving ourselves the message This is a reboot so we can continue to move forward. So just to
2: also for clarity, Mm -hmm. you get so frustrated when you see other mental health practitioners claim expertise in anxiety, but all they do is you say, do the disorder. Yeah. What would that therapist who's grating on your nerves say about breath? (laughs) And what would that therapist say to a child?
1: Just to like throw it out there. What do, what do people say that you're like, stop it? Yeah. They say, okay, so you're anxious about going to school. So whenever you feel anxious, I want you to breathe. So do your breathing. And then they stop. And that's all they say. Okay. Right? So the breathing is there to support you as you do all the other things, all the other work. All the other work, all the other steps, right? So we're expecting worry to show up. We're talking to worry. We're understanding that we're going to get on offense with these things, right? It would be like, I'm watching Wimbledon right now because I love tennis. It would be like right now if Coco Goff, who's amazing, was, you know, getting ready for a big match and her coach said, okay, so when you're playing Simona Halep, breathe. And Coco's like, well, I also have to, you know, focus on my serve toss and I also have to focus on my backhand and I also have to focus. So the coach may say, between points, take a deep breath and allow yourself to reset so then you can have access to all the other skills you know. It's funny you say that because that's also
2: what I'm hearing you say is that when you are, if an adult or a teenager who really understands the physiology of an anxious Mm -hmm. response, Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, amygdala. I'm going to go back to my prefrontal cortex.
1: That's exactly correct. Because remember, the amygdala is your alarm system and it's primitive. And so when you breathe, when we let the amygdala know that we're not in the middle of an emergency, then we can get access again to the prefrontal cortex, which is where the plans are, the skills are. It's really a way to access. It's really a way to move you out of emergency. That's what it is. And that's enormously helpful, but it doesn't teach skills. It's a bucket. It is not a roof repair. So join our Facebook community so
2: you can ask Lynn a question and connect with our listeners.
1: Thanks for joining us on another episode of Flusterclucks.
4: Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory